listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I'm Jessica O'Reilly, your friendly neighborhood sexologist, and I am back in Toronto today, still recovering a little from my travels last week and having lost my voice aboard the Desire Resorts cruise, but I had a great time on board. I would say the highlight of my week was probably my visit to Florence, Italy. I love that city. There's something that just, I don't know, leaves me wanting more and more, and I hope that at some point in my life I can go stay there for a couple months and write and work and take in the history and the culture and, um, excuse me, still struggling with my voice just a little, but on board, I'd say on the cruise, my highlight was just sitting on the top deck way up high, kind of watching the shoreline in the distance and listening to the DJ, DJ Willis (laughs) down below. So, you know, life is good. I, I definitely have one of the best jobs in the world. No complaints here. So thank you to Desire Resorts for hosting me aboard their cruise and taking me all these exciting places and meeting some really interesting people from all around the world. And now that I'm home in Toronto, today, this morning on the Global Morning Show, we talked about Tristan Thompson and Khloe Kardashian. And I know, admittedly, I don't know much about the two of them in their brands. Um, And I tweeted about it and already people got really pissed off and said, who cares? Who cares? Talking about celebrities isn't cool, I guess. But here's the thing. You may not care about Chloe and Tristan. You may not keep up with them. (laughs) Ha ha. See what I did there? Ah, yeah, I know the name of your show, kids. Um, You may not care about them, but you do care. We do tend to care about these types of stories Because when we hear about happy relationships or tumultuous relationships, it affects how we see our own relationships. When we hear about Tristan potentially cheating, for example, it can be upsetting because ultimately we never want it to happen to us. We have this fear when we see other people's relationships that to some degree ours is reflected in theirs. And it's interesting because... Celebrity gossip is often seen, obviously, as as trashy or vapid, and I don't find it particularly interesting, but I was looking at this post by Dr. Amy Harwick, and she's a former guest on our show. She's brilliant, and she was talking about the hazard of even engaging with or following celebrity gossip. So Amy says, gossiping in general is a normative behavior. Um, And communication about social behaviors goes back to nomadic tribes in terms of finding out who was socially, who socially was to be avoided or cautious about. So it was a bit of a survival mechanism. But gossiping in general really brings negativity into your life and into your relationship. And then Amy adds, such a public depiction of relationship failure can absolutely instill fear in people, whether single or in a relationship, about the likelihood of relationship failure. So we take this information about the world by what we see. And she goes on to explain that 
typically our own families and friends and social circles model what we believe to be normal. But with the addition of social media and tabloids, our behavior modeling now includes an immense quantity of poor and often untrue behavior models. And and this makes sense because they don't really report on relationships that are going well. Oftentimes the headlines are more powerful and more common when something's wrong. So if celebrity gossip is bad for us, why am I talking about it today? Well, I believe that if this information is out there, it's essential to dissect some of it because we're already consuming it. Even if you don't mean to, it's showing up on your Facebook feed. So I think it's important that we talk about cheating, not gossip about whether Tristan did it or not, but talk about why it happens and a little bit about what we can do about it. So today we're going to do just that. And I want to cover a rather, I think, controversial topic or angle. I want to talk about why Chloe, and I'm just using her as an example, okay? I want to talk about why Chloe might put up with this type of behavior and what it says about the way we approach monogamy and then what we can do with it. So to the first point, and I'm using Tristan and Chloe as examples, but it's just because it's the language we have here with this current story. If, if Tristan has done this before and you believe he's going to do it again, why would his partner put up with it? Now, I don't know for sure. I don't have the answer. I'm not in Chloe's head. I'm not even on her Instagram feed. <laughs> but I want to suggest a theory, a theory that may or not apply to them, but certainly applies to other couples, many other couples I see. And this isn't a popular theory. Anytime I bring this up, people get angry, people get pissed, but I know it's the reality for many couples. So here goes. I believe that many people know that their partner is cheating and they privately accept this. They may not like it, but they accept it. And they accept that if they want to sustain this relationship for love, for companionship, for their kids, for security, for whatever reason, they simply accept that even though they say they're monogamous, their partner isn't going to be. They're going to have extramarital interactions, sex. Now, this isn't the same as a transparent and honest and consensual open relationship. It's not consensual non-monogamy. But it's also not exactly the same as expecting and demanding monogamy. It's somewhere in between, in a gray area. So they want the relationship. They know their partner says they'll be monogamous, but maybe they know their partner doesn't intend to be fully monogamous. They may even say they'll try. And ultimately, someone like Chloe may accept that to have this relationship, maybe this is what they have to put up with. And they may not really discuss this openly with their partner. In fact, I would suggest that in many of these relationships, the communication is severely lacking. Um, Because again, this is not a consensually non-monogamous relationship where it's negotiated. But deep down, Inside, 
on her own, she gets it. She accepts the cheating. She doesn't consent to it, but it just is what it is. So even though they accept this arrangement privately in their own minds, so Chloe accepts that, all right, this is the way it is. It doesn't feel good. Maybe it hurts. Maybe it's embarrassing. So even though she accepts this arrangement or this reality in private, she still feels outrage when others find out. And this outrage is often in response to the public finding out, to other people knowing, not to the cheating itself. So social reactions can hurt more than the cheating itself. Social consequences can be more harmful. I I often thought about this with regard to Hillary Clinton, and I I remember being interviewed about Bill and Hillary many years ago, and I, I was kind of newer in the field, and I remember they glossed over what I had to say because I had suggested that this is their own arrangement. Uh, and I mean, I guess the other possibility is that Hillary Clinton maybe knew this was happening, felt she didn't have um, you know, control over it, and accepted it, but couldn't dare do this publicly because the shame and judgment she faces for allowing, in air quotes, allowing it to happen, is what makes it unbearable. So the cheating may not be ideal. It's not something they've talked about because probably they haven't talked enough about the relationship to begin with. But what really hurts is everyone else's reaction and judgment. This is really heartbreaking to me that we are so judgmental of the person who decides to stay with someone who cheats. So that's my theory. And I believe that this in-between relationship, not monogamous, not consensually non-monogamous, sort of a don't ask, don't tell, resigned to accept cheating in order to make the relationship work, I believe that this exists because we, in part, this isn't the only reason, I think there are you know, issues of gender and power here too, but I believe that this exists from a systemic perspective because we privilege monogamy and accept it as our default setting, even though it's simply not realistic for many of us, even though we don't work to make monogamy work. Perhaps for Tristan, it's not realistic. I don't know. I don't know him. I don't know anything about him. And when I think about this in-between relationship model, this setup, I don't see it as particularly healthy because it's not open or honest or consensual as far as I know. Again, I see this in many other couples, um, and I don't know that this is the case for Chloe and Tristan. I'm just using them as a potential example. I believe, however, that we could really like fix this if we started approaching monogamy as though it is a choice, like e- eating meat or being a vegetarian. You can do one or the other. Uh, we wouldn't find ourselves with so many supposedly monogamous relationships that end up not being monogamous. So I think it'd be fair to call them failed monogamous relationships. 
I think if we stopped with the fairy tales and the rom-coms and the nonsense around your partner being able to fulfill all of your needs, he's going to be my lover, my soulmate, my best friend, my confidant. Oh my goodness. If we dropped these unrealistic expectations, I think that's when we would start to build happier, healthier, more successful relationships. And we'd likely have I think we'd have more people who opt to be consensually non-monogamous, but I think we'd also have a higher success rate for those who opt into monogamy consciously. So what can we do with this theory, with this information, this notion that we've got monogamous relationships that work, we have consensually non-monogamous, excuse me, I'm going to start again. So what can we do with this theory, with this information? What can we do about the fact that we have monogamous relationships that work on one end of the spectrum? We have consensually non-monogamous relationships that work on the other end of the spectrum. And then we have many people who say they're monogamous, but in fact are not. And they acknowledge this, many of them for themselves, but the public shaming and the public judgment makes it so difficult to actually talk about it, to deal with it, to move on from it. So what do we do? I think, I think the answer is that we have to have some really scary, meaningful conversations. And it's interesting, I was talking to um, another sex educator in Toronto today who lived in Berlin. And as you know, I work, you know, really all over the world with people from various cultures. And one of the big challenges I find in the Western world and in North America in particular is that people tend to have a false sense of confidence when it comes to their communication skills. I find that so many of us say we're great communicators because we talk a lot, because we're comfortable talking, because we're loud at talking, uh, because our tone is confident. But we're not really great communicators because we avoid difficult conversations. And I think before you commit to being together in any sort of relationship, but especially in a monogamous relationship, Before you commit to the relationship, before you commit to a lifetime together, you need to ask yourself some very important questions and have a conversation about these questions with your partner. So the first is, I think you need to be able to answer this question. What will you do if you want to have sex with someone other than your partner? Because the desire will probably arise at some point. And how are you going to respond? Have you even thought about it? And how do you hope your partner will respond when they have the desire to have sex with someone else? And if you haven't asked yourself this question, and if you can't answer it, you're not ready for monogamy. And if you can't discuss your answers with your partner, you're not ready for a monogamous relationship. And it might be an intense conversation, and you might even argue, but you should do this before you commit to being together and before you find yourself in this scenario, if possible. And I think that wherever you are in your relationship, 
this is a conversation you need to have. Like, how do you feel about wanting other people? How are you going to respond when you're really attracted to someone you work closely with? How are you going to respond when someone very attractive, uh, you know, is, is propositioning you? We need to talk about these things, think about these things. They're not insurmountable. What makes them insurmountable is that we don't address them on our own and with a partner. So that's the first part. And then next I was thinking that I think it's really important to ask yourself why you want a monogamous relationship and really think about this. Why is it you want to be monogamous? And ask your partner the same. It's another tough conversation. But if you haven't had it, if you can't identify what it is that appeals to you about monogamy, you aren't equipped to commit to it. So that's the next piece. And then finally, I was thinking about another very scary conversation that I want all couples to have. And that is, how would we respond if one of us cheated? How would you feel if, if you were the one who did it, if your partner cheated? What would you do? How would you cope? How would you move on together or, or would you break up? And this is such a scary conversation. I've had it myself personally with Brandon. And of course, I've facilitated it, you know, probably over a hundred times with other couples. And it's really frightening because let's say I say, all right, I couldn't handle it. We'd break up. I think in some ways that shuts down the conversation. My partner might be afraid, like to be honest with me about their desires moving forward. And if I say, okay, yeah, it would hurt if you cheated on me, but we'd work through it, I think it might feel like I'm giving him permission to cheat. So there's no simple path. I'm giving you the, you know, extreme ends of the spectrum here. Navigating this conversation isn't simple because it requires you to be vulnerable. <laughs> and you need to learn to be vulnerable if you want to stay together for 10, 20, 40 years. And it's interesting when I look at a couple like Chloe and Tristan, uh, I feel like if they had even scraped the surface of these conversations earlier in their relationship, maybe they'd be better off. Uh, I, again, this isn't just about them, and I don't know the specifics of what happened, but I think we can learn from the gossip rather than spreading it. So now I challenge you to address these questions with your partner. What does monogamy mean to you? What does it look like? What are you going to do when you're attracted to someone else? What are you going to do when you want to have sex with someone else? How are you going to respond to this? How is your partner going to respond to this? Why do you value and desire monogamy? And have you considered the other options? And how would you handle an affair or cheating? You know, the data suggests that a quarter of us admit to having had cheated. But, you know, people who are working in the field estimate it at closer to 50% because people have to admit to it to make it into the data. So this means it's a conversation you need to have. So I ask you, you know, are you willing to have these tough conversations? And this is just the start. Like we're scratching the surface here on this short podcast. I have a, I have a new course coming out and I think it's going to be called 
don't get divorced. <laughs> I have the content. I just don't have the title yet. And this course guides couples through these conversations and provides them with, you know, adjacent exercises that set you up to have a happier, long-lasting, fulfilling relationship. And here's the most important piece in all of this. These conversations are tough. Some of the exercises I assign are really uncomfortable, but they are not nearly as tough and not nearly as uncomfortable as a breakup or divorce. So I always challenge the people I work with and the people I speak to to look at this, to say, okay, like this is a tough conversation. I could, I would cry in some of these conversations. I have cried and I've seen people cry. I've seen people break down. I've seen people yell and shout and it's not fun, (laughs) but it's better than leaving it 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road and having one of these issues arise and dealing with the fallout. So you can stay tuned for that course, but for now, I want you to start with one of these questions. And if you head over to the podcast section of my website, we've got a a really rough transcript of this episode, so you can actually look back at the questions and get started. Because you know, all we really have in life is relationships, intimate and otherwise. So if you're going to invest time, money, energy in one thing, make it your most important relationship. So please say yes right now that you will take one of these questions, answer it for yourself or answer it with your partner if you have a partner. And I'll leave you with that and wrap it up. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please subscribe and share this episode if you think it's worth a listen. Even if you disagree with it, I think it's worth sharing. And of course, follow along. I am at Sex with Dr. Jess on Instagram. And I'm going to be in Toronto all week this week. And think I'm heading to Miami next. So check out my Insta stories to follow along. And if I should be following you back, Make sure you let me know. All right? I like to hear from you. Have a great week and check back next Friday and every Friday morning for another episode of the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Have a great one. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life.